Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. So we are in episode 19 of our study, Life-Changing Connection. Again, this is our uh, 40 days of Lenten journey to rest and prepare and pray for our church as we launch out of Easter to prepare for launching into our community in November. And there's a lot of work ahead of us that we'll talk about. But this is just a time to look at various scriptural passages and talk about what God has called our church to do for the world around us. And so that's kind of what this study is looking at. And we've spent some time in the study looking at our mission and our vision and how the early church operated and how the early church made disciples. And then yesterday, I, uh, in episode 18, I launched into a topic that was about leadership. And so I want to continue talking about leadership this morning. And the first thing I want to do to look at that is to figure out where did Jesus get his leaders for the church? Did he put them through an MBA program? Did, was there a certain leadership institute? Like, what did Jesus do to get leaders? So let's just look at where Jesus got his first disciples. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. So as we can see, the first disciples, according to Mark, and pretty much I think all the disciples say that uh, it was Simon and his brother Andrew. Now, Simon later becomes Peter. Jesus renamed Simon Peter. So this is Peter and Andrew, James and John. They're all fishermen. So they are somewhat industrious. They have a skill. They go out, they fish. They're definitely not educated. Doubtful that they're educated, although it's quite possible that they might have been educated. You just We just don't know. We know that, that for example, John wrote book a book of the bible and a couple epistles and 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 wrote the revelation so he either wrote that himself by learning how to read and write or he used a uh, someone to help him write it down which which was called an amanuensis that's what they called those people there are people that you could kind of hire or you could bring into your community and you would speak and they would write down everything that you said or if they were going to pen a letter, it's like a, like today you might, well, you don't do this today, but a hundred years ago, you might have brought in somebody who understood shorthand and you might have dictated a letter and they would write it in shorthand and they would go back and type it out full for you because shorthand is a very quick way to write down that stuff. So um, these men were not necessarily well-educated, although there could have been some education in there. They were just run-of-the-mill, not run-of-the-mill, just average Joes out on the on the boat fishing, doing their life, trying to make a living, trying to do the things that they were trying to do. And I mean, and the bottom line of this is that they weren't, 
these great, like, phenomenal, they became great phenomenal people, no question about it. But when they started this journey with Jesus, they were just average people on the street or on the ocean, on the lake, on the sea. That's who they were. They were just average people. And Jesus called him. And they spent three years with Jesus. Then Jesus left, and they became all 12 of these guys, except for Judas, they all became incredible leaders in the church called the apostles. And people flocked to them for their leadership. So somewhere between just simply out there on the boat fishing to at the end of their life, they became incredible, incredible leaders for the church. And that's one of the things that the church can do is create or build leadership in the church. What is a leader? Well, we could look at a couple definitions. Peter Drucker, the guru of leadership from you know the early part of the 1900s, he wrote the only definition of a leader is someone who has followers. Or we could look at Warren Bennis, also contemporary. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. So according to Warren Bennis, you have an idea and you translate that idea into reality. That's a great definition of leadership. Or you have Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft. As we look ahead into the next century, leaders will be those who empower others. So according to Bill Gates, a leader is someone who not only has a vision and has followers, but is somebody who can empower others into the dream of whatever's going to become a reality. John Maxwell, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And John Maxwell is a Christian man who's wrote a, wrote, written a lot of books about leadership, and he's spoken at a global leadership summit that happens every year. That is a phenomenally good influencer in the world of leadership. So he sees he has leadership in the world of influence. And then, as I've said, it, our church leadership is assembling and organizing resources to further our mission or our vision. In other words, for us, what we want to do is to kind of take everybody's gifts and talents and look at that and assemble them together in a form by which we can advance the mission and the vision. And the mission is to make loving disciples. And so that's, that's really why our church is together. If it was just to make disciples without an organization called church, then perhaps I would gather around me a number of people and I would spend three years of life together and help encourage them in the ways of Jesus. And then they could go out and do that also. But we have an organization called a church, which I'm called to, to lead and our church has been formed to make loving disciples. That is the mission of our church. It is, it is, it is what we do. So what, what, would, what do great leaders need? Not even great leaders. What skills do a leader, do, does a leader need? Well, if you were, if, if I were a person who was gathering around together, um, people around me to teach them in the ways of Jesus, then I would probably need a whole bunch of skills. It wouldn't need to just be one skill. It would be very skill good, a lot of skills. As a matter of fact, 
I could even go back to Ephesians 4 and look at the gifts that Paul says uh, are needed by the church. And just to, we talked about these previously, but he says that we need prophet, we need apostles, we need prophets, we need evangelists, we need shepherds, we need teachers. In other words, according to Paul, some of the skill sets that you need to develop disciples are the gift of apostleship. In other words, being able to look into a person's life and and listen to them and figuring out what what things they're dealing with. Jesus might have listened intently to Peter and said and and, and understood the internal struggles struggles of how God created Peter and and help him in the in learning more about himself. I don't know how much Jesus did this, but you know, he obviously teaching is at some level learning kind of who you are and what God wants you to be and putting the two together. They say a great preacher has the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another hand and put the two together. Well, I think a great apostle has uh, has the person in one hand and the word of God in another hand and puts the two together. Another another skill is that being a prophet. And we talked about that is knowing the heart and the will of God. And so as he listens to people, he might say, this is what God says about the things that you're struggling with. An evangelist is someone who's just on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's, it's, it's the root word of evangelist is evangelium, which means good news, good news. And so an evangelist is someone who is just really excited about everything. They love, they love uh, talking about the organization. They love talking about the church. They love talking about Jesus. If you've ever met someone who has a skill of evangelism, they, uh, I have a friend that was a good friend of mine in, ju- in junior high and high school, and uh, he is a great evangelist. I've always said, you can sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. <laughs> He'd be a great salesman. As a matter of fact, he was a great salesman. When he had a paper route, he would be number one at going around and getting subscriptions for the paper route. He was such a good salesman. And whenever there was you know, Christmas wreaths or Christmas cookies or those kinds of things to sell. He was always, you know, the top of the list to do that. He's now a pastor selling Jesus. He's just on fire for Jesus. And he does a great job at it. Um, shepherds. A shepherd is someone who walks along beside someone and, and helps them through life. Is, is Jesus would have loved his disciples. He would have, he would have, you know, seen what they were doing. He would have sent them out two by two. They'd have come back and they'd have had a discussion about why it went well, why it didn't well, go well and have, you know, the deeper spiritual discussion to try to say, it's okay, you did fine. God still loves you. Hang in there. You'll get the hang of this, that kind of stuff. And then a teacher is one who teaches. And as I've said, once, once you have moved through the sprouting phase of your life and you are now trying to grow into your faith, to bear fruit at some level you are a teacher because bearing fruit at some level is teaching sharing something about your faith being vulnerable about your faith being uh, transparent about your faith those kind of things are all part of being a teacher we have a lot of people that are christians in the world and yet they 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 talk about they except for a very, very, very few close set of friends. They don't really share their faith with anybody else. And yet, 
even without speaking words, at some level, if you've identified yourself as a person in the Christian faith, maybe you've got a fish on the back of your car, or maybe you have a cross at your workplace, or maybe you tell people that you went to church on Sunday or whatever. You are teaching things about Christianity to the world around you just simply by the way you live your life. And so, as I've said, I believe that every Christian at some level, whether or not you teach Sunday school or you simply stay at work and really don't communicate to a lot of people, but people know that you're a Christian, you are teaching something about the Christian faith. So I believe everyone is at some level a teacher. Now there are, since it's listed here as a skill in Ephesians 4, there are people who are actually very, very gifted at teaching teaching the stories of Jesus. Maybe they're great storytellers, people who are who are warm and comfortable and approachable and they lo- just love to teach. And when they teach, people really get, a, they can really, really understand it. And so there's also that higher level of teaching. But there's also the fact that all of us at some level, if you've been baptized, you are a, a teacher of the faith, <laughs> good or bad. That's That's what you are. And we'll talk actually more about that when we get into baptism. All right, which which hopefully we'll get to in this series. All right, so um, Jesus basically took four guys and, not four guys, 12 guys, four guys in Mark, but they ended up being 12 guys, and just lived with them th- for three years and taught them what it was to be a good l- leader. And if I look at this list from Ephesians, the, uh, a good leader if you're an apostle, right, you have to have good listening skills. You have to listen to people. If you are a, if you have, if you need to be a prophet, then you need to have the skills to read God's word, understand the heart of God, understand what God's word says for people's lives. Uh, You're constantly seeking God in your life and what he has for mankind. That's kind of a, a prophet type of role. Uh, an evangelist is just really good at networking, putting pieces together, doing uh, doing those kind of amazing outreach, under you know taking taking the good news and and taking it into the community. Community. A pastor, as I've said before, is somebody who walks along beside somebody. In today's world, we might call that a coach. Coaching is big right now. I have a coach, and coaching is somebody who basically walks beside you. And helps you understand who you are. And then you can talk about leadership issues that you're struggling with. And a good coach helps you through, you know, helps you understand who you are and why you have difficulty doing some things and why some things come so easy easy to you. And then uh, a good teacher is someone who is willing to share, to be transparent, to be able to communicate be able to understand what they're teaching, but be able to communicate it to other people's lives. And if you're going to have 12 people following you for three years, you need all of these skills. But when you come together in a congregation, you've got to leverage these skills among the people of the congregation so that you can make loving disciples. Because remember, the goal of all of this is to make disciples in our church, in our community, and we think that making a disciple, we, whenever I say the word making disciple, I think the first thing that may come to your mind is somebody who's, you know, you, we're going to baptize people and they're going to become a disciple. No, 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 no. 
Baptism is one of the steps to becoming a disciple. It says, go make disciples by baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them. And so it's a combination of baptism and teaching. And teaching is basically helping grow people to look like Jesus. We have a great book from the early church called the Didache or the teaching of the disciples that says what they taught. Martin Luther has the catechism, but it's more than that. It's it's helping people grow in their faith throughout their life because it's not just a one-time deal. There might be some basics that we have to teach you or that Christ wants you to learn that scripture says, but then you're going to continue to grow in your whole life, to grow in your faith, to develop your root system and all that sort of thing. And we need leadership. In the, in the old church, I may have said this in the episode 16 or 17, but in the old church, we kind of had a plan for how we did things. This is what Sunday school looks like. This is what Sunday morning worship looks like and all those different things. They're all kind of people put together these plans in order to make disciples. But in the new economy, under the new, the 21st century, there are so many more tools available to us to be able to do this kind of stuff that we, if we're going to be effective and compete on a level that the world demands us to compete on, we have to learn to use these tools and we have to leverage these tools. We have to elevate leadership at every level. A thousand years ago, obviously the leadership could only be educated. You know, they were educated people. Um, Well, and let's just even talk about that for a second. How does the, so who, who creates leaders today? And, and the answer is, like, everybody wants to be a leader. And so leadership is not only skills, but it's authority, it's position, it's, it's your resume, it's your CV. And in the world, they, the leaders end up being paid a lot of money. Like, you know, you think of the person that runs Microsoft or or Tim Cook, who runs Apple or whatever, and all these guys just, you know, incredibly well compensated for their leadership skills. So how did they get those leadership skills? Well, they probably started working for the company and they grew up in the company. But there is at some level in our society that leadership is, um, oh, that there are people who have the right of leadership and there are people who don't have the right of leadership. Maybe that's I, 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 so I'll just play my cards here. I think that we, as a society, place leadership roles in people that have no business being a leader. And what do I mean by that? I mean, somebody goes, let's say somebody goes to a, a, a Ivy League school because their parents paid them, you know, paid a lot of money to get them to that school. And then they come out and now that they've got, you know, all this stuff, they may not be a good leader. But because of the fact that they went to an Ivy League school, they can have followers. And so they can, and th- this is the reason why parents will pay so much money to get people to go to school. It, part of it is the education. There's no question about it. But part of it is just the stamp of approval from society that says, okay, this is somebody you can follow. And we end up in the United States, this class of people that are like, we're the ruling class and you should listen to us. And we're the ruling class because we're part of the elite. And you cannot get into the ruling class to be part of the elite. 
it's very, very, very difficult to get into that ruling class part of the elite because you just, you know, unless you were born into it or perhaps you made it big in a business decision or whatever, or uh, maybe perhaps God has granted you a lot of wealth or perhaps you went to the right schools or whatever, that's, you know, that's automatic. But for the rest of everybody else, the rest of the 98%, leadership is hard, long work of working over time. And even then, like in large organizations, you may not you may not ever get the opportunity to lead just because it takes so few people in an organization to lead. But a church can do different than that. A church is not constrained by resume. We're not constrained by uh, you know your family roots or whatever. We're not constrained by your income level. We're not constrained by anything. In the church, Jesus just called four regular guys, right? He <laughs> he said, "Come follow me. I'm going to turn I'm going to turn you into leaders." And so we as a church, wouldn't it be great if we could through the process of creating our church and doing the business of the church that as we create organization and structure that we're also at some level creating leaders in our church people that are understanding the skills of leadership. Maybe we give people one thing to lead and and we have a coach that walks along beside them to say, man, you did a great job on that. Or maybe a coach that says, this probably could have gone better. And you have that discussion. And then through that process, they try it again and they try it again. And through this trial and error system, not trial and error, but coaching work, you know, system, leadership coaching system that we grow and we develop leaders over time in our congregation, giving them vast authority over various parts of our of our organization. That is um, that is phenomenal. That would be so great in in um, in the world. You cannot become a leader in the world unless you (laughs) you know, learn a trade for a long period of time. And even then you might not be a leader. You might, you know, if you have some entrepreneurial skills, you might break out and you might do the trade by yourself. You might even try to grow a company. But that is very, 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 very hard. The world makes it very, in the United States, for entrepreneurs, oh my goodness. Uh, There's somebody, what was it? um, Oh yeah, somebody posted on one of my forums, why are we getting a Taco Bell in Safeway? (laughs) In the Safeway Shopping Center, we're building a Taco Bell. And people are like, why can't we just have a mom and pop uh, shop? And if you'll remember, we actually had one. It was the Vale Steakhouse. But the guy that bought that was put through so many hoops by the governmental agencies that starting out, he was behind hundreds of thousands of dollars that he was never going to be able to make up. And he was very, very well educated on how to cook. He actually ran businesses before me. He had all the skill set. And yet... There was just this deflating, this deflating demoralization that happened because of uh, of all the rules and restrictions. And you know, part of it was definitely you know his fault too, buying a building that was very difficult to rehabilitate. But part of it also is just that it's just to navigate the rules in the United States today, all the building codes, all the engineering codes, all the standards, all the everything. <laughs> you want to start, you want to start a business. Um, it is very, very difficult, and it is skewed to the elite. So, for example, in the Safeway Shopping Center, 
the, the, if you want to buy that property, if you wanted to buy a lot in the Safeway Shopping Center, you're probably going to pay, I don't know, we probably paid $3 a square foot for our, for our property. Um, no, not $3 a square foot. We paid, um, well, may, I don't know. Anyway, we, we paid very, very little per square foot for our property. Th- that property goes, uh, for that one lot, you're probably looking at something like $250,000, $300,000 an acre just to buy the lot. And then on top of that, you have to hire an architect, and then uh, and then you have to get through all the city planning and all that sort of thing. And then you you build the buildings. So you have to have construction skills and all that sort of thing. And then you have to open it up, and then you have to operate it, and it has to be operated very very well because if it's not operated well, it's going to go out of business within six months to a year, which happened to the bowl. Um, and the bowl, I don't know what the bowl was. It was this. It was um, at Old Vale Station. Um, they they went out of business. It's just it's just it's so it's so difficult. It gone are the days. The way we made America great for years and years and years and years and years is that we didn't we had very, very few regulations. And so people, if they wanted to try something, you know, they're risking their money, but that was about all they were risking. Uh, today we have so much structure that you have to be a Taco Bell in in order to to run a taco. I mean, you you <laughs> It'd be very, 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 very difficult to, to run a business and not and not be, you know, not have lots of resources to be able to do that. It's just very, very hard. And as I've said to all our entrepreneurs that I meet, thank you so much for taking the risk because that is one that's the great engine of American society, and yet it's getting harder and harder and harder and harder. So um so and the reason why I brought that story up is it's just it's just very very difficult to learn leadership skills out in the business world. But in the church, it's easy because we're not constrained by profits, we're not constrained by anything. We're government regulations, we're not constrained by education, we're not constrained by authority. I mean, we we are only constrained by our own imagination to help develop leaders in our congregation. And we should do that. We absolutely should do that. And I've got two more slides, but I see that I'm out of time. So I'm going to probably talk about that in the next episode. So um, thank you for joining me today. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the blessings of this day. We pray, Lord, that you help us to raise up people to bring forth your kingdom here on this earth and help us as a church to do that. We pray this in your name. Amen.